electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, we're going inside Amazon with the company's new CEO, Andy Jassy. With the war in Ukraine and then all the inflationary pieces that happened thereafter, at a certain point, you can't keep absorbing all those costs and run a business that's economic. Inflation, supply chain, entertainment, grocery, space, robots. So right now we're also on a robotic floor. Amazon CEO on unionized workers and collaborating with the White House. <laughs> Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And, uh, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of things that we, I think, have supported the administration on and agree with them on. We won't agree on everything, though. Plus, his take on big fishes in the tech world, Elon Musk, and his old boss. The letter is almost Bezosian, if that could be a word. But he is Bezosian. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one. Here, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, who is live from Amazon's headquarters in Seattle. Good morning, Andrew. Good to see you. Good morning at, uh, what is it, 3 a.m. here, guys? Oh, my God, that's right. It's 6 a.m. where you are. It's 3 a.m. Everybody here is, yes, bright, bright and sunny. Today on the podcast, Inside Amazon, the $1.5 trillion tech giant that sells us everything from, yeah, books to groceries, entertainment content, products like the Kindle and the Echo, cloud storage through the Amazon Web Services unit that's worth hundreds of billions of dollars on its own. Founded by the world's second richest man, Jeff Bezos, in 1994, Amazon is now on just its second CEO, Bezos' longtime deputy, Andy Jassy, and he hosted us today. We're going to go on a little bit of an Amazon journey uh, during today's show. One of the perhaps uh, great symbols of American success, Joe, uh, that we talk about in terms of Crown great jewel. businesses Crown in America, jewel, but uh, also Crown one that's a, like, like Apple. also one that's a microcosm, a microcosm yeah. of so many issues uh, that are taking place around the country. Well, right I was now. sitting here thinking about it because you know there is time dilation. I remember things from 25 years ago. That, online bookseller, so maybe Zappos. Could have done this. They did. Well, don't choose. Maybe Pets.com could have done this. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. Zappos <laughs> owned by Amazon, by the way. Yeah. No. But the management, whether it's Bezos, whether you know AWS under Andy Jesse, this is my. I, I mean, I had nothing to do with it, but my chest wells up with pride on that this is an American success story, and it's just staggering. It and, really and, is. And, and, and it continues, and the runway uh, doesn't end. With uh, that is a great. Saying, but uh, I mean, books, online books, and now they put Captain Kirk into spit. Well, Jeff did anyway. So you take the guy on Star Trek and you actually give him his dream of, of going to. It's just yep. it doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any better. And then we got a few of them like this here. You see what's happening? And Andrew, you're going to turn left. And then I turn left. And then you turn left. Okay. 
So we are at Amazon's headquarters. And just to give you a little context of this room that we are in right behind me are posters, signed posters, by the way, um, of every Amazon product launch. So Amazon Echo, you're looking at Amazon Whisper, all signed by uh, the team that created. We're going to talk about uh, how they create products here at Amazon. But you're also going to go inside uh, some of the warehouse facilities. You're going to hear uh, from some of the leaders inside Amazon. Of course, we'll talk about AWS. We'll talk about supply chain, labor issues. There are so many things going on. Amazon experienced enormous growth during the coronavirus pandemic. I know I did my part, particularly in its core retail business, as consumers cut trips to brick-and-mortar stores and relied on the speed of Amazon for both essential and non-essential goods. This surge helps the company realize the equivalent of three years' forecasted growth in about 15 months. And in the last long 24 months of pandemic, Amazon doubled its fulfillment network, the vast physical spaces where your packages start their journey to you. Andrew toured one of these fulfillment centers just 15 miles south of Seattle with Alicia Bowler-Davis, a senior vice president at Amazon. One of the top logistical challenges for the company, a tightening labor market. The solution? Automation and robotics to help speed up operations. Yes, so what you see there is that's one of our robotic drives. And we have um, thousands of those in the building. And what they're doing is they're carrying a pod that holds inventories. And that inventory is moved to a, an associate who has a responsibility to either put inventory in different locations on the pod or take it out to fulfill orders. So I've always been fascinated by these. Yes. And partially because of the robots, but also because I always wonder, is there going to be a day when the robots are going to actually be able to pick the items out of the boxes themselves, or do you think that it's, our hands are just the dexterity that's required to do it yeah. is a human function? Yeah, I've been around robotics for a long time, so I am optimistic that there will be a day that robotics will have the dexterity that's needed to pick items out of the pods. They're so, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of different items, different sizes, different weights, and so... We'll see, but I do think technology will move um, to be able to help take some of those items, many of the items, out of the pod. Amazon has built many of its warehouses to accommodate mobile robots, which can autonomously transport entire shelf units around the facility to complete fulfillment and delivery. But they aren't taking over yet. Those robots work in conjunction with human workers who do the packaging and the shipping. So right now we're also um, we're on a robotic floor. Right. There's actually some technology I'd like to show you here that's using artificial intelligence, uh, intelligence, machine learning, and vision that is helping the associates determine where's the best spot to store the inventory. Amazon has also pledged to become Earth's safest place to work, even as injuries at its U.S. warehouses increased between 2020 and 2021. What do you think the biggest misconception is about Amazon warehouses around the country as national debates about employment and labor? I think the biggest misconception is that our warehouses are not safe. And so I will say that with um, clearly saying we have more work to do. Um, However, we have in 2021 alone, we invested over $300 million in safety improvements. And that's capital investments. That's vehicle technology, there's technology that we've um, shown here, and we continue to make that investment. We're committed 
to improving the safety within our warehouses. When you come in this warehouse, our warehouses are clean, they're, they're orderly, and we work together as one team. The man leading the Amazon team is CEO Andy Jassy, who is making the role his own since taking over from Jeff Bezos last year. Andy Jassy's first shareholder letter uh, is going to be out uh, right now, and uh, in it, he reflects on the pandemic, how the AWS business, which he spearheaded, by the way, it's, it's actually we're going to talk about that story, uh, and the consumer business has had what he calls different demand uh, trajectories during the pandemic. Um, AWS revenue growth uh, now back to its 2019 levels at 37% growth year over year. Uh, while on the consumer side, um, he writes that Amazon realized the equivalent of three years forecasted growth in about 15 months. Now, Amazon doubled. And this is actually pretty fascinating because he talks about how Amazon basically spent 25 years uh, building the fulfillment centers and distribution that, that we all come to, to know. And then effectively, I mean, and that was just to deal with the demand up until two years ago and then doubled it. Uh, in the last 24 months to meet customer demand. So you can really kind of understand the sort of massive growth uh, that's been going on uh, in that business. Um, the number of fulfillment centers in the last month, as I said, uh, go, jumping uh, in large part um, because of that growth. Now, Jassy, going on to say that Amazon was able to meet uh, a lot of this moment because really of what he describes, and this is pretty interesting about how he thinks about innovation, of what he thinks of as constant innovation. He writes, quote, in every business... Uh, we pursue that we are constantly experimenting and inventing and we're divinely discontented. I like that sentence. Divinely discontented with customer experiences, whether they're our own or not. And the beauty of this mission is that you never run out of runway. Jassy's message is coming at a time, as you know, Jam is on facing a lot of pressure uh, from employees at fulfillment centers. Uh, there's the unionization effort. There's questions about safety. And one of the things he addresses in the letter is this issue of safety. He says, quote, our injury rates are sometimes misunderstood. We have operations jobs that fit both the, quote, warehousing and courier and delivery categories. In the, in now, in the last U.S. public numbers, our recordable incident rates were a little higher than the average of our warehousing peers, 6.4 versus 5.5, and a little lower than our average of our courier and delivery peers. Now, that would be 7.6 versus 9.1. This makes us, he says, about average relative to peers, but he says we don't seek to be average. So we're going to talk about all of that uh, and so much more with Andy Jassy. The other thing, and people should read the letter, because, by the way, the letter is almost Bezosian, if that could be a word. Well, he is Bezosian. He, he talks <laughs> about his own... He, he talks about his management philosophy and sort of how to innovate in this letter that I think is actually very instructive of what the future of Amazon may be. And, you know, it's funny because I think people think that Jeff has, you know, you know is a big idea guy uh, and that Andy is an operational guy. But the, the artistry of the way Andy describes innovation in terms of operations is what may actually have made Amazon what it is. I'm looking forward to a long weekend because there's a lot of things on Amazon TV that they've developed the content that I want to watch uh, yes. too. Yes, we'll talk while TV. They're, while they're football, at it. by the while way, they're at it. Yeah, football. You're gonna, you're, but you're gonna be wanting to watch watch football on Thursday nights. That's right. that's really the next leg of all this for them. It reminds too. me. I mean, it reminds me of that crazy movie where there was one company finally in the in the uh, you know it did well, it's world everything. Domi- it's world domination. 
It is world dominated. But Bezo I got, started getting a little nervous no. when you said that, Bezosian, if, if that's actually a word. Then I think, I don't want, these guys aren't carrying rolls of quarters around in their pocket waiting for like a comet. Some people, I, I mean, that gets a little cultish, doesn't it? When, it must be, though, to have a, a, a corporate culture like Amazon. It well, must, it's, it, it it's must be. It's what Bezos built from the beginning when he went out there. The idea that he would jump in all hands on deck. Remember, Jeff Bezos was actually driving to the FedEx or the UPS, whatever it was. He was driving to the station every night with the books to, to say, here they are. He got to know those guys at the warehouse very well, the guys at the delivery places very yeah. well, because he was showing up and doing these things. He built that culture. <laughs> he built it, and he wrote his first, Jeff Bezos wrote his first shareholder letter with the idea that this is what this company is going to be. If you want to make earnings now, don't, because we're going to grow and we're going to grow big. And his point was always that you get the shareholders you deserve. Yeah. Um, so they've been on for a very long I'll, ride I'll knowing something. what this was going to be. One of the things that's so fascinating being out here and just talking to so many people who work here is, you know, I think there's a view that Amazon is this very big company, and it is. But it, there really is this sort of startup feel to the whole thing, even now. All of the groups, even to themselves, say, well, we, we actually, you know, our, our business, we don't have as much market share as, as, as we could because, you know, we're 1% of this or we're 5% of this. And collectively, obviously, we all look and go, look, it's Amazon. Yeah, but it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty interesting the, feeling. <laughs> and the legislators right. who are looking at that saying, yeah, you've got a much bigger reach than that. Um, uh, I've, been uh, an Amazon, I've been an Amazon customer since 1999, yeah. like it's, and they have a huge part of my monthly shop. Once they started getting some good TV shows, that's when I... But, but even think about... Tease next. Next on Squawk Pod, Andy Jassy himself on all things Amazon, supply chain, space, unions. That's why I created the White House Task Force on Worker Organization and Empowerment. To make sure the choice to join a union belongs to workers alone. Amazon, here we come. Amazon CEO responds to President Biden and to workers hoping to unionize. A place like Amazon empowers employees. If they see something they can do better for customers or for themselves, they can go meet in a room, decide how to change it, and change it. That type of empowerment doesn't happen when you have unions. It's much more bureaucratic. It's much slower. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Our own Andrew Ross Sorkin sat down in Seattle on Amazon's campus with CEO Andy Jassy. Are you enjoying this? Yeah. Ten Action months back. in now? Action back. Action back. Could you ever believe it would be this crazy? They have a lot to discuss. Jassy's first letter as CEO to shareholders, the global chip shortage, rising wages, 
even the famed vote to unionize by Amazon workers on Staten Island. The Amazon labor union has just won the first union for Amazon workers in American history. All this week on the podcast, we have talked extensively about inflation. It's everywhere. And Amazon, huge though it is, is not immune to the impact of rising prices. This week, the company announced that it's hitting third-party sellers with an inflation and fuel fee, bumping up costs with a 5% surcharge. There's also Project Kuiper, Amazon's effort to launch satellites to improve internet connectivity, and much more. But first, before all of that, the two Andrews started with a bit of news about another giant personality in technology, Elon Musk, and his offer to buy Twitter outright in a cool $43 million all-cash deal. One minute out. Should I be looking at, at you? Yeah, just look at me. Okay. Just look at me. We'll, we'll have a ball. I'll let our Andrew take it away. Andy Jassy joins me right now in an exclusive interview uh, right here in a room, by the way. We were talking about this earlier. This has posters of basically with signatures of every, frankly, new product that's been developed at the company over the many years. Yeah, a lot of them. Thanks for having me. It's very nice uh, to have you here on what's turned out to be a very jam-packed news day. Uh, and I want to talk about your letter in just a moment because it is a major piece of the news in the morning. But the other big piece of the news uh, that we've been talking about all morning is Elon Musk, who does sort of loom large here in certain ways, given that you're now competing with him uh, when it comes to space, or at least Jeff is uh, on that front, and, and Kuiper uh, with the satellites, and also now Zooks uh, with, with your vehicles. What do you make of this, this Twitter bit? I don't know. I, I, I woke up uh, just a little. I don't know how you wake up at this hour every day, but, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, and, and just heard the news. And it's, it's interesting. We all use Twitter, obviously, uh, to some degree. And it's a, it's a very interesting uh, um, service and capability. It'd be interesting to see how it evolves. Do you would you ever think Amazon should own a Twitter? I asked because I think that Walmart at one point wanted to get involved with TikTok and social medias. The I don't next know. thing it sounds like somebody else is going to own Twitter. You think Elon Musk is going to ultimately be the buyer? I don't know. That's, you know. that's the rumor. That's what you guys are all talking about that, today. That's what we're talking about. Um, let, me, let me talk about your letter, and let me talk, let's talk about what's going on right now. Because one of the things that's so fascinating in this letter this morning is just what's happened dur- at, during this company, uh, to this company uh, during your uh, new time here. I mean, you've been here for a very, very long time, but in this new role. And we're all now talking about supply chain issues, the pandemic seem to be over. Now we have issues in China and what that's going to mean. Big inflationary uh, pressures. How do you how do you just see things as they are right now? Well, it's it's quite an interesting time. And, and uh, you know, we we grew three times faster than we expected in 15 months. We had a fulfillment center network that we built. And it's a pretty big network that we built over 25 years that we had to double in 24 months. So uh, it, it's really been a time of extraordinary growth. And at the same time, when you grow that fast and with some of the things happening in the world, there are also challenges. You know, we had, we had to double our fulfillment center network. We hired um, about 300,000 people last year alone, um, which is a lot of people. But at the same time, even though we hired a lot of people, we couldn't hire all the people we needed in all the places that we needed. And so that created all sorts of challenges in, in, in placing inventory close to our customers as we typically do. And when you have to place it a little bit further away, it means you have longer transportation costs to get there. All the rate of transportation has gone up over the last um, number of months. 
And, you know, then you, you see what's happened with the war in Ukraine, where it's created a bunch of inflationary pressure. If you look at the cost of fuel, if right. you look at the cost of, of metal and, and building, just very different. And, you know, then you look at some of the supply chains, as you mentioned, uh, you know, it's um, there are uh, there are certain items that are very difficult to get, uh, you know, we all are, are have a lot more demand for chips than there is supply right now. And, you know, because we design our own chips and we buy a lot of chips for the things we do in AWS and our devices, even in our vehicles, we get a fair share of those. But still, it's, it's not fast enough and it's not enough. And I think some of the issues happening right now in China where, you know, um, as there are variants and, and as they're being very conservative and locking down uh, production creates some issues in getting products as fast as we need. And it's still more expensive and more time-consuming to get products into the country. So there's still supply chain so challenges. So you have to plan out, how are you even planning at this point um, in terms of just how transitory or not these inflationary pressures are? I know you just added a 5% surcharge for third-party sellers yeah. to deal with uh, the fuel cost. Do you think that that is a long-term situation? Do you think that that shifts back? I hope not. You know, it's um, the last thing we ever want to do is have to raise um, costs for our sellers. And um, sellers for us are, you know, so important and so critical to the business. And in the early part of the pandemic, with all the costs I talked about earlier, right or wrong, we just absorbed all those costs for sellers. But um, in part because we thought some of those would attenuate as we got to the beginning of this year and some of the impacts on COVID changed. But with the war in Ukraine and then all the inflationary pieces that happened thereafter, at a certain point you can't keep absorbing all those costs and run a business that's economic. And so I think that, um, you know, we're very aware that, we, um, that sellers have costs as well. They're very important customers for us and partners. Uh, and we'll keep looking at how costs evolve and revisit. Right. You talked about chips being a major issue. What do you think we should be doing here in the United States about manufacturing those chips and does Amazon have a role in that long term, you think? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it should concern people that so much of the chip production is, is concentrated in, in one place. Um, and there's, you know, there, there are a lot of geopolitical things that could happen. And so I think it's quite wise of the U.S. to be thinking about creating more production here. And I, you know, I'm, I'm very happy about the CHIPS Act that, that we've been working on in the country. It's a lot of money. It's $35, $40 billion, and yet it's probably not enough. I think we probably are going to need even more than that to have the ability to withstand some kind of shock to production in in a particular part of the world. Um, But I I think it's very important. Um, You know, we design our own chips, and we're big buyers of chips, and we're big customers of, of some of the big chip companies as well as producers ourselves. So there could be a role for us to play. We certainly want to help, and we certainly want to partner. Do, do we believe that the companies in America, and I know Intel is trying to do this, but do, do we have enough know-how in, this, in the country to actually do the manufacturing piece of this, do you think? I think uh, it's a good question. I think we have a start. I mean, Intel obviously has been doing this for a long time, and um, you know, Pat Gelsinger has been a partner you know, first on the VMware side and now with Intel for a long time, and, and uh, I have confidence in their ability to produce. And, uh, but th- they have work to do, as they know, and, and we're going to need additional providers, I think, to be where we ultimately want to be. And what are you seeing in terms of wages at this point, in terms of wages going up? Yeah. Well, it, they certainly have gone up uh, over the last um, uh, two years. And, um, you know, some of which 
we did ourselves. You know, we, we championed the $15 minimum wage, which is more than double the federal minimum wage, which it's high time that that changed, too, by the way. Um, but uh, What do you think uh, it should become? I, I don't know the exact number, but below $7.50 to me feels very wrong. You know, I, I think it should be closer to... Um, uh, to that $15 minimum wage that, that you know, we started a few years ago. And that, you're now think, at about 18 Yeah, our, our average starting salary now is over $18. And so uh, wages have continued to go up. Um, you know, it, when you run a retail business like we do, it's true for all retailers, they're relatively low operating margin businesses. So there's really only so far you can go and have an economic business that makes sense. But we've continued to see wages go up. It, there's been a, a very significant acceleration the last two years. And I, you know, it's hard to tell how much more they'll go up. I don't think we'll go backwards, though. In, in that context, how do you see the union movement uh, that's taking place, frankly, around the country, but clearly aimed in certain places, uh, and I'm thinking about New York, where I'm from, at Amazon? Well, I mean, I'd say a few things. You know, first of all, of course, it's, it's employees' choice whether or not they want to join a union. Um, we happen to think they're better off not doing so for a couple reasons, at least. You know, first... Uh, a place like Amazon empowers employees if they see something they can do better for customers or for themselves, then go meet in a room, decide how to change it, and change it. That type of empowerment doesn't happen when you have unions. It's much more bureaucratic. It's much slower. Now, I also think people are better off having direct connections with their managers. You know, you, you think about work differently. You have relationships that are different. We get to hear from a lot of people as opposed to it all being filtered through one voice. If you want to keep the construct that we've had for, for this long, you have to have you know, competitive and, and compelling benefits, though, for, for employees. And it's why we championed the $15 minimum wage a few years ago, and we're up over $18 now. It's why we have full insurance, why 401K, 20 weeks of paid leave. And you, you, our career choice program, where in our fulfillment center, um, for our employees who want to get a college education, we'll pay for their full tuition. So... Those things really matter. Um, the one thing, regardless of how it all evolves, is we just won't compromise in the customer experience. That, for us, you know, is, is paramount. And what, did, what did you think when you heard President Biden effectively say, and this is in regard to the unions around Amazon, here we come? That's what unions are about, in my view, about providing dignity and respect for people who bust their neck. That's why I created the White House Task Force on Worker Organization Empowerment to make sure the choice to join a union belongs to workers alone. And by the way, by the way, Amazon, here we come. Well, <laughs> everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And, uh, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of things that we... I think have supported the administration on and agree with them on, you know, some of the way that we've um, tried to help with COVID and with uh, immigration and, um, you know, the chips piece that we're talking about, the infrastructure bill. We won't agree on everything, though. Um, When you look at one of the issues that the unions have raised, as you know so well, are safety issues. And you address this to some degree in in this morning's letter. But I'm hoping you can speak to it because uh, there was some data out just about two, two days ago. Uh, that seemed to suggest, and this was uh, data put together by, I think, some of the union advocates, uh, that there were more, even double, the number of injuries at Amazon uh, facilities relative to their peers. Well, look, there's a lot of ways you can spin 
the safety data and uh, some special interests folks like you're talking about with this case um, will do it for their own interests. So th- that, that data is not really accurate. Um, you know, what I would say is a few things. You know, first of all, for anybody that hired a lot of people during the pandemic like we did, and there are plenty of others who did as well, uh, your, their, in, their incident rates, their recordable incidents, which is what OSHA asks everyone to report on, went up in 2021 versus 2020 because you had a lot of new people. In our case, we hired about 300,000 people just in 2021, most of whom had never worked in this type of manual um, and, and industrial space and who had to be trained. And all the data we have says that the incidence of injury in the first six months is always much higher than thereafter. So when you have a lot of new people, right. you'll have more incidents. But that said, if you, if you look at the, um, the injury data and the safety data, um, you know, for us, we, we have a few macro areas in which we do work. We have what OSHA calls warehousing. We have what OSHA calls messengers and couriers, messengers and, and couriers, and, and then we have grocery. And if you look at the industry average versus our numbers, we're a little bit higher than average in warehousing. We're a little bit lower than average in both messenger and couriers and, and grocery. So we're about average, which, frankly, I take no solace in. We don't aspire to be average. We, you know, we are trying to be the best in the industry. And it's why we're spending, you know, we have, we spent about $300 million on safety last year alone. We have about 8,000 people who just work in safety. And we're trying all sorts of things and working all, sor- all sorts of things. We have a, a rotational program we built where we've built sophisticated algorithms to try to predict when somebody's doing something too, um, too frequently and rotate their jobs and rotate what they're working on. We have wearables that we're investing in that send haptic signals when we believe you're making a dangerous movement. Uh, we have, um, you know, new shoes that we've had everybody wear that, you know, protect your toes and avoid slips. We do training on body mechanics and wellness. So we're working on a lot of those things. But the, the reality is that we will not be happy until we're the best in the industry. And, and even then, I won't be happy because I'm going to know there are things that we could be doing better. This is important to, to me. It's important. to the How do you think about this? So one of the things that, that Jeff said in his letter last year was that one of the missions of Amazon now is to be Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work. How do you how do you think about that relative to the priority of serving the customer? I don't think they have to be at odds. And in fact, I think they're very complimentary. When you take care of employees and employees are safe and they love working where they work, they stay longer. They tend to be happier. They tend to be more productive. And all of those things improve the customer experience. So I see them as very complimentary. Um, I want to also talk to you about, I mentioned third-party sellers and, and the fuel surcharge, but I also want to talk to you about third-party sellers because there are investigations going on, as you know, and other uh, concerns about Amazon doing what might be described as white-label products that compete with third-party sellers. How do you think about that relationship? And also, how do you think about either being able to use or not use data that you have about what's selling in one place or, or how a product is working or not working, and then making a similar competitive product? Well, I think you're really talking about private brands mm-hmm. or private labels. And, and um, as you know, we didn't invent private label. That's, that's a many decades long practice that um, all the big retailers have participated in for a long period of time. And I think when you decide to, to build private label in particular areas, it, for us, it's almost always driven by customers who say, I like this particular product, but I want an alternative that's more cost effective. And so 
we have for us it's it's a part of our business it's a smaller part of our business than it is for most retailers but what we always are going to show customers is what we think they most want so if a customer is used to buying a particular brand in a particular area that's what we tend to show them as long as it's in stock and we can get it to them quickly and the customer reviews are good but we're always going to optimize to show customers what we think would be best for them to buy but how should a third-party seller think about that because and i ask because some of them will build a product and then think to themselves well if amazon decides that they're going to also make the same product that's going to be a problem for me well it's um you know third-party sellers and their products are the majority of units that we sell in the store today and so um, if you build a great product um, with with a, a great price and high quality, you're you're going to perform well. You know, you're you're uh, you, like everybody else. You have to find ways to get awareness. But if you have that product, I mean, there's only so many things that any company is going to manufacture. We tend to focus in areas that tend to be the, you know, kind of the everyday household pieces that people want and need. Um, but if you build a great product, you're, you're going to have a business over time. And, and that's what we see borne out in the numbers, which is, you know, sellers continue to do very well in our store. They're the majority of our units. Uh, talking about products, I want to talk about a couple of the sort of component parts of Amazon. But in the retail piece, I have a prime question for you, which is, what do you think the, elis- the elasticity is long term on the prime price? We, 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 we talked about this on the air, actually, when you raised, when you raised the price on it last year. Yeah. In terms of if you're a family of four, it might be able to go very high. If you're a family of one, maybe it can't. I don't know. It's a, it's a good question, and I don't know if anybody knows the answer to it. I think that the value of Prime today, when you think about what's in it, the, you know, the all-you-can-eat, two-day shipping, um, that you know, increasingly we're moving more and more shipments to one-day one shipping. Day. Uh, what you get in, in Prime Video with, you know, um, you know, our originals and all the products that, you know, we have a channels program where third-party um, entertainment companies are selling subscriptions and channels to people. Well, we've got the whole catalog and music, um, you know, what we've got on, on the gaming side um, with all the gaming benefits, the grocery benefits. It's a, you know, and then you layer in some of the things that we keep adding really every right. month. I mean, just look at what we have coming the rest of the year in Prime Video with, uh, um, you know, a new Jack Ryan ser- uh, season, um, uh, a new Boys season, the new Lord of the Rings, which right. is, you know, over Labor Day. And football is coming. Football. I mean, you know, and so we keep adding value to Prime. I think it's, you know, I think it is a great value today, and we don't plan on stopping adding value in Prime. What, what, what by the way, is the aspiration in media? Um, I ask in large part, we've been talking all week about Warner, Warner Media just merged with Discovery Plus. Everybody's trying to understand what the streaming wars ultimately look like. When you think about it as an economic matter, and this is interesting because I think people want to understand, is this a component part of Prime or is or the economics of it an independent of Prime? Um, and I ask that because, you know, does the business, do, do these other businesses ultimately subsidize the streaming business? There's a lot of people in Hollywood are trying to understand what it's all going to look like. Well, I think it's still pretty early days for us in entertainment. And uh, we, we've invested. You just merged with MGM. We, we, uh, yes, we just acquired MGM. And, and uh, um, it's very early days for us in, in entertainment. We've invested a lot of money um, there and, and a lot of resource. And I think you should expect we'll continue to do so. We're very optimistic about what's possible. And, you know, today... What we find is um, so many people are starting Prime because they see some show that they love um, in, in Prime Video. And, uh, and then they oftentimes, once they start Prime, they use the shipping benefit and buy retail products. So they, you know, and vice versa. So 
Uh, I think that today it, it really it, it connects that prime value proposition, and I think people get a lot of value from those uh, collected pieces. As we keep adding more and more content, as you see what we're doing with sports, and, and we're pretty early in what we'll add, it's possible we'll explore other models as well. But today, it's part of that prime. It's value. part of prime, not something you, you want to spin off just yet. <laughs> no. By the way, talking about spinoffs, obviously you've heard speculation for years now about whether certain parts of Amazon should get broken up and spun off, either for regulatory reasons or even economic reasons. How do you think about that? Well, uh, uh, did John Fort put you up to this? He did not. He did not. Um, John asks me this every time I see him. But, uh, you know, I, I think that um, you always have to decide, you know, when you're going to choose to spin something, why you'd want to spin something off. Typically it's when... Um, you know, when companies need more money to be able to invest in a particular business and or if they want to get something off their balance sheets and, uh, and, and their financial statements, we just don't find that to be the case. You know, we, uh, we um, you know, our consumer businesses have a lot of connectivity between them. We were just talking about an example of that with Prime Video and uh, in our retail business. And, you know, in the case of AWS, we, we haven't had any issues with respect to being able to fund that business the way it's needed to be funded to grow. So we just haven't found a compelling reason to do so. Um, you recently announced the 24 one stock split. Yeah. What was the rationale from your perspective to do that? Well, you know, there's, there, there's obviously no substantive quantitative reason to do it. Um, uh, and so it wasn't for, for any of those types of reasons. It, it was really because of that, it, it meant you could, you could keep it the way you were, you, you were running it or you could change it. And we just kind of looked at it and thought it might provide more flexibility for our employees. And, and there's a bunch of small uh, um, but meaningful examples, including, you know, when, you're, when your stock price is over $3,000, if you have an employee who wants to sell for whatever reason they need uh, to sell, but they don't need to dispose of $3,000, they have to sell a, a whole share as opposed to when you're, Stock price is more like $150, and you need to sell a share because you need something that's $500 or $1,000. You know, it's, it's, it's more flexible and more convenient for them. So we just, at the end of the day, felt like it would, it would provide a little bit more flexibility for our employees. Uh, one of the things we bat around on, on this show virtually every day, uh, we, it's hard to get through an interview without mentioning the word crypto. Uh-huh. As, a, as, a, as a payment platform, and you actually have a huge payment platform unto itself, how do you think about crypto today? Well, I think it's an emerging area, obviously, and, and there's a lot of um, it's very interesting, and there's a lot of discussion about it. And I think NFTs have, have really started to take off. And, and um, uh, you do, you know, own, do you own any? I don't own any F- NFTs myself. Any Bitcoin? Uh, I don't have Bitcoin um, myself. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think um, uh, I expect that NFTs will continue to grow very significantly. Um, we're not probably close to adding crypto as a as a, uh, as a payment mechanism in, in our retail business. But I do believe over time that that um, that you'll see crypto become bigger and, and it's possible. Could you see yourself selling NFTs? Yeah, I, th- I think it's possible down the road uh, on the platform. Um, before we let you go, it's been 10 months now in this in this new role. And I'm curious what the relationship's like with Jeff. Um, how much time you guys spent together? What does he think of all of this? Uh, we, we were actually mentioning we thought your letter was a little Bezosian um, in some respects. Mm. Uh, what's it been like? Well, I have a great relationship with Jeff, and um, you know, I've, 
uh, I've known him for a long time, and I have an, an unbelievable amount of respect for him. And uh, we talk regularly. We talk weekly. And um, it's, uh, it's great to have a sounding board. And, and he's, you know, got so much wisdom. And, uh, you know, and I think both of us share a lot of excitement and optimism for the future. We're so early in all of our businesses. I mean, even in our retail business, which people think of as, the, as kind of our most mature business, you know, we're, we're about 1% of the worldwide retail market segment, and 85% of retail still lives offline. So we're so early in all of these areas. You know, AWS is a $70 billion revenue run rate business, growing, you know, about 37% year over year in 2021, and still 95% of the world's IT spend is, you know, on-premises and not in the cloud. So all of these areas, you go through it with Alexa, has the chance to be kind of the you know, the, the best personal assistant, which changes your life, and entertainment, as we were just talking about, our advertising business is early, and Kuiper, you know, we're building a low-Earth orbit satellite and a robo-taxi business and Zooks. I mean, we're, we're so early in these areas that I think we both share a lot of optimism that, right. that you know, there's an opportunity to change a lot of customer experiences over a long period of time. It's still day one. Are you going to space? Will, will you go on the... Will I'm you... not going anytime soon. You, would, you don't want to go up with him? I didn't say I, w- I didn't want to go up. I'm just saying I'm not going anytime soon. Andy Jassy, thank you so much for Thanks being for here on a very newsy day. Congratulations on the letter, um, and uh, we hope to uh, do this more often. Thank you again. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. And that's Squawk Pod inside Amazon. Thanks for listening. We are off tomorrow for the market holiday, so your next fresh podcast will be in your feed on Monday. Happy Easter and happy Passover to those who celebrate. Thanks to Squawk producer Jackie Corba, who was at Amazon HQ in the middle of the night, and editor Cosimo Camporiali, who joined us on the pod this week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you right back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 